0: Hi guys, I'm Kate Ivy, your host of the Dedicate podcast. A massive welcome to our last episode of season 4. Time really does fly by. Today I'm chatting to Christina Perium, the owner and founder of the beautiful fashion brand Perium. Crafted in New Zealand from the world's finest merino wool, each Perium piece embodies one simple intention: buy once, treasure forever. Now what an episode to finish on. Christina shares with us the inspiration from her mother, who sadly passed away from cancer when Christina was just 30. Christina also reminds us just how important it is to treat our bodies well with nutrition and exercise with her incredible endometriosis and IVF journey. This is a must listen. So thank you so much for for joining me. While well, you have built such such a beautiful brand I was looking through your website this morning and just you know taking a few moments to really breathe it in and it is absolutely stunning oh thank you and you're completely right you know buy once treasure forever they really are pieces that last and that you want to wear all the time and that don't date and you know they're not crazy colors so it's not something if you wear it all the time it's really noticeable
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the whole ethos of our brand is to obviously buy once and treasure forever. And I think as you get older, you probably appreciate that a lot more is that it's better to spend a lot more money on something that makes you feel amazing when you're wearing it rather than just something you might only wear a couple of times and like throw away. So um, yeah, so that's definitely um, the ethos of our brand. And um, it's definitely something I live by every day. I make sure I wear really beautiful products and it makes me feel good. Something quite powerful about your story is your brand was inspired by your mother, is that, is that right? Yes, yes, yeah, my late mother, Heather. Um, yeah, and no, I was definitely inspired by her. So she um, passed away when I was 30, and um, so that was quite a huge thing for me in my life. I, you know, I thought my life was really normal. <laughs> well, you know, I, I thought it was, like, for 30 years. Um, I grew up in a really privileged household. Um, I grew up on Bendigo Station, which is a sheep station in Central Otago. Um, my parents were real sort of think outside the box people, especially my father. Um, so I was always around those kind of really. Um, we always met, had really interesting people at the station, and uh, and um, like one of the big things is we had a we bought a station over near a called Ota and was it some Italian family and an uh, uh, Australian wool family. And um, that really opened my eyes up because, you know, um, we were exposed to, like, um, <clears throat> the, Ita- sorry, <clears throat> the Italian way of life and um, how they dressed. And I was just in awe of these beautiful men and beautiful women. Um, and we would, you know, we'd spend quite a lot of time with them. So, they were really influential also when I was growing up. Yeah. So, yeah, I had a, um, a really amazing childhood in terms of um, experiences and, uh, and things like that. So, It was great until I was, I think I was 25 and my mum got diagnosed with a malignant melanoma in her eye, which is like 1% of cancers. It's really rare, like really rare and quite unheard of. So she went down, um, they thought she had um, some cataract, they needed to do like a cataract um, operation and she went down to Alex and I just remember my dad ringing me and saying, "Look, you need to go to Dunedin. Your mother's in an ambulance on the way to Dunedin." And I was like, "What? what, What's going on?" And he just wouldn't tell me. He's not—he's not a great <laughs> emotional type of, you know, like family <laughs> They didn't tell me family. that. And I got halfway to Dunedin and my dad rang and he goes, "Oh well, I've told the boys." And I was like, "Um, what? You know, like, what are you talking about?" But I was too scared to ask him what he was talking about. So I just went down and my mother was at my auntie's, and they discovered that she had a malignant melanoma in her eye. So it was quite traumatic, I mean, life was good, and then it just completely gets turned on its head. Yeah. So um, was she told? Well, they, was, they were like, we can remove the eye and stuff like that, so that was an option. I was incredibly close to my mother, like, the closest you could be. Like, we were like, I've got two older brothers, and um, I was the youngest, and I'm a girl, so we were really close. Um, and she, so, it was really weird we had this um there was a guy that had come over from america that was visiting and he had a vineyard or something i can't quite remember in bannockburn but he was a leading eye specialist from america and so of course everyone starts contacting you and saying look you need to do this and you you know you need to get in with these people
0: someone who survived
1: yeah 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 you get a lot of that so chuck arrived on our doorstep and he was like look i think if you come to america they're doing this really amazing proton beam treatment in san francisco and I think we could save your eye mm-hmm. so my mum and dad jumped on a plane and they went over and they did this proton beam treatment in San Francisco um and that all went really well um so they beam like these protein looks it's a bit beyond me to be honest but they've this type of I guess radiation or proton beam into the eye and that's supposed to zap it um so they went there and did that and came home and everything was well for a while but I I remember um, googling um, you know, the prognosis for something like that and it always said something like a five year, it'll be a five year sort of mm-hmm. uh, timeline until it sort of came back. So I kind of always had that in the back of my head, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, they went over there quite a few times and then finally the last time they went over, they said it had spread and it had, they hadn't contained it like they'd hoped. Um, so she had her eye removed in San Francisco and I was actually on, in Italy on a scholarship um, studying uh, merino wool, New Zealand merino wool, going to the, the mills in Italy. So here I was on this, you know, amazing adventure in my life, and, yeah. and my poor mother was suffering in San Francisco having, having her eye removed. So mm. it was pretty hor- horrendous. And then Mum, about five years later, it came back as secondaries. So I was 30 and it had gone to her liver and everywhere. And it was literally eight weeks from that diagnosis until she passed away, so it was really quick. We went to Christchurch to try alternative treatment because um, their doctors told her they could do nothing for her anymore. The alternative treatment was this early on or was this when she the eight weeks? yeah at the start of the eight weeks we um I mean it sounds a bit crazy now it was some kind of <laughs> she was in remission for a bit she'd
0: removed the eye did she think she'd got it
1: yeah I mean they, I mean she always thought oh maybe they hadn't quite got it you know yeah. um but so the um,
0: tests to check or she didn't have regular checkups or what was the
1: it I kind of did and my mum wasn't good at that and I remember pushing her to do that and you know because I'm a real believer I'm like you know you get your car, um, a warrant of fitness for your car every year we should all do that as well as humans um but my mum just I don't know I don't know she just did not and I knew she wasn't well I, I kind of knew you know um, she just wasn't that well so we went to Christchurch and we did this sort of crazy treatment um it was like a plate and it, it's an energy plate because when you're given no option to do treatment or anything you just do whatever you can because and you know I was on this mission to save my mother like I was absolutely like I'm gonna save her and stuff so I did a lot of reading up there and oh I had a drinking uh, lettuce um you know shots and yeah. and things like that the poor lady <laughs> last eight weeks were like just filled with <laughs> me forcing her to do these crazy um you know something so I learned a lot about um health and well-being and cancer during that time I did a lot of study and um I became very passionate about the health side of things and or did
0: you just drop tools and
1: I dropped tools I think I'd just come back from London and I was sort of like um I just sort of come back because I knew mum was sick so I was just really helping her out I had my own fashion brand under Christina Perium, so I was sort of doing that on the side but I was just sort of getting into that yeah so I was doing that and then um yeah, and then mum got obviously really sick. So then, I mean, it was a very traumatic eight weeks because I was my mother's only um, support person really. Like my family would come and go, but I looked after her that whole eight weeks mm-hmm. and it was exhausting. But at the same time, I had found this new way of living and eating and and stuff like this. And I remember um, once I been at a real loss and I went into um, Paper Plus or what calls um and, and I, it was so weird. It was like there's this like light shining down so- on this book went over to it. It was called The Power of Now. I don't know if you know of that book. Um, It's a really amazing book about mindset and about um, being present and in the moment and how we view view events and how we respond to them. So I immersed myself in this book and it was just really enlightening to me. Um, So I started reading this to my mom and I was just like, oh, this is amazing. And you know, the poor lady, she's just like, oh. I mean, the only thing you have in those situations is hope. And a lot of people probably don't understand that until you're in that situation because you don't have another option. You can sit there and wallow and and then they die. But for me, it was like, right, what can we do about this? And how can we...
0: And I guess you have to know um, deep in your heart that you've done everything you can or you're...
1: Yeah, Yeah, and I was like, oh, we can do this. You read these stories about um, people, you know, really changing their lifestyle and going into remission and stuff. Mum was obviously far too far gone, but... um, So anyway, then she died on the 5th of February um and it was really traumatic but I kept reading these books um and it really helped me through it the only thing that helped me through my grief was these these books um because he's written quite a few books um and I just I remember I stayed at my brother's and my sister-in-law's and I just um read these books and they really saved my life because it gave me a different perspective on how to um respond to the grief um that I was going through. obviously still grieving and things like that yeah. but then i also had the responsibility of going to look after her businesses at terrace yeah. um because the ladies have been you know on their own and my auntie was trying to work you know trying to work it and stuff like that so i had to sort of get out of bed and go and for those that don't know what are the
0: what are the businesses
1: in terrace so my mum had the marina shop which my father bought for her in 1984 she didn't want it he just came home and said i've just bought you a shop and she was like i don't want a shop i've got three young kids um yeah anyway they wanted to- it was what an empty store or was it already yeah it was like a rundown like building on the cafe yeah and um deb was like yeah that'd be great we'll showcase Marina wool products to tourists and we're gonna do this and that and i was like oh gosh um okay anyway it was a, it was a love of hers. she loved it she she loved the people she was a really people's person and she loved um she loved she was so good with customers and people still remember her um, because she always had time for people and, and she really um, was really interested in people's lives and you know people just loved that um, and as a young girl I used to go there after school and just sit and watch her and um, and obviously that's where I got my passion for retail for her. I didn't really realize that until recently but yeah. clearly you know being around that my whole life was such a massive thing for me um, so I had to take over that business she also had a, the store that she had um, trying to transform into sort of like a um, a high-end kind of grocery store so that was sort of in its infancy so I was like oh so I spent a couple of years so how many years ago was it that your mum passed away uh 12 years
0: ago and they're still yeah. um they're still the essence of what they were aren't they but you've just yeah. been going yeah
1: yeah yeah um so uh, I started you know so I was doing that and then I saw there was a real gap in the market for New Zealand made Merino children's and babies products so Oh, I thought I'll just start a brand doing that. So I started a brand called Soprino Bambino and um, a girl from England had just met a fencer in Cromwell and she turned up on my doorstep, um, Gemma, and said, um, you know, got new work? And I was like, when can you start? <laughs> We've got a few things going on. Can you roll ice cream? <laughs> um, so she joined me and she's still with me to this day. Oh, um, how cool, how cool. She's my production manager at Purium now. So we started, we were... We were literally sewing in the back house with gloves on in the winter and puffer jackets. It was so freezing. Um, and we started wholesaling, so selling into a lot of shops and we would travel around the country and sew into shops and yeah. that grew. And I had Christina Perium And then I did a business course and the lady was like, I really think you need to rebrand it all. And So I had like Sabrina Bambino, I had Christina Periam. So it's rebranded all to one, yeah, under one umbrella. Yeah. And that's where Periam was born. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so. Um, Periam was born um, probably about, oh, how long have I done that? So it's probably been about eight years now. Um, And I went to a branding agency and I really wanted to make it about my upbringing and my family, especially my mother. So they did some really awesome work around that. Um, Well, I wanna continue on her legacy or my parents' legacy, but do it in a more modern contemporary kind of approach, but still uh, ringing true to my heritage and, my parents' vision. So it's definitely something that um, propels me every day to do well and um, to to sort of make her proud, I guess, in a way. So that's something that's quite big. So so then it sort of grew quite big and we were getting more inquiries. So Gemma and I moved over to Wanaka and opened up an office um, there. And then that's sort of where PRM really took off and started to grow when I had time to focus on it because um, I had a lot of people coming into Terrace who knew my mum and wanted to have a chat for about an hour about what an amazing lady she was and yeah, so and good that's good. awesome, but it's not, yeah. not good for productive um yeah. tire management. So um <laughs> so um yeah, so my mum um is definitely yeah, definitely um still yeah around the business and stuff. So that's special. Yeah, so I love it. Periums, eight years old and how old were you when you started Christina Perriam? When I started Christina Perriam, so I basically, when I um, finished, I went to Massey University and did a degree in fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I, um, when I didn't, we do it, you do a final year graduation um, show. And um, I won the, um, the, the best end of year collection and design in the show. And um, I also got, and I, it was all out of, um, Worsted Merino um, woven cloth from Italy. Um, and I was also selected to go to Australian Fashion Week and show in an Australian Fashion Week. So I sort of came out in this big buzz and a uh, store from Wellington, they had quite a few stores called Unity Collection at the time. They're not they're not still going, but they um, were like, we want to take your brand straight away. We love what you're doing and rah, rah, rah. So I was like, oh, yay. Okay, all right. Well, I'll just start my brand. At the time, there happened to be a new brand um, a new um, concept in Dunedin called the Dunedin Fashion Incubator, yeah. and they were taking the first shooter, uh, well, like the first designers, and they help you um, by giving like you you paid a small rent, but you had access to all the machines and cutting tables, and they would mentor us and nurture us and and stuff like that. So I went and did that for a couple of years, um, and that then I learned how to wholesale into different shops and. And that's when Christina Perriam was born. Yeah. So I did that. You
0: so young.
1: Yeah. And in hindsight, I wish I'd gone and um, worked for other people because it would have been really um, helpful when you're building a brand because I didn't know a lot of the workings and then actually like in a brand. You have to learn
0: the hard way in the end, don't you?
1: Yeah, I opened a shop in uh, Wanaka after that and I stopped a whole lot of high-end designers. I sort of plus my own my own brand I did that for four years um but then um life sort of took a different turn and um I came out of a relationship and I decided that I wanted to see the world because I'd just done the Italy scholarship yeah and I was like had the best time of my life um in Italy and I was like oh wow you know I'm still young and I knew mum was sick so I probably I went overseas to London for two years and I worked in big, I worked in companies then like that we would be making for really big brands um, like Topshop and places like that. Yeah. So, and it just happened that my boss was, um, had done the same course as me in, in New Zealand. So she was a New Zealand girl. Yeah. So she took me under her wing and really showed me the ropes and. Um, and that would have been a yeah. nice sort of break from everything. Yeah. So um, it was just a good break because I'd sort of, you know, been running my own thing for quite a few years. And um, I just wanted to go and play and learn and. Yeah do the world um and it was great but I always had a hankering I still remember my London flat I was still drawing pictures and scheming up ideas for my my own brand one day and stuff like that so I missed it but I had a really good time and then my mum got sick so then I came home do you um still do a lot of the design yourself or do you have a design team how does that work yeah I mean um Um, Yeah, I do most of the design. Um, I've had an assistant designer for a while, but she's actually leaving me in two weeks. So um, I'm definitely taking back over the design um, uh, in a bigger way. Um, I'm doing a lot more knitwear training at the moment to really um, get my head around that and work with our factories and actually spend time with them and stuff. So it's kind of exciting. I've got sort of a... And whereabouts are you? We have... um, Tauranga, Auckland, and then we are cut and sew in Christchurch. Well, so it's all Um, made in New Zealand as well. It's all made in New Zealand, which is really hard. Like, I know people might find our um, our prices quite expensive. the reason for that is is because it's New Zealand made. So we're paying really high wages um, for for all of it to be made. So it's not cheap to do it in New Zealand. Um, And that's the difference between, say, us and a China-made label. Um, well well done it's amazing because
0: you know not many brands can pull it off
1: yeah it's hard and you'll, you'll notice that there are not many brands doing it anymore it becomes really tough especially when you get wage increases and, um, and things like that especially in the baby and children's area because people expect to get it for a certain price and it's really expensive to make and especially if it's made of merino wool it's a constant um, it's almost my, my husband calls it the charity <laughs> pretty much <laughs> um, it's just
0: the baby side of it.
1: Yeah, it's hard to make a margin on it. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, is it there to kind of create the whole brand and its essence?
1: Yeah, yeah. And people come into our shop because they might want to pick up a onesie or something for someone overseas, or um, and then they'll see you know, all that other product. Um, but it's an ongoing um, problem, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And so then you came back from overseas, and
0: um, and then you obviously. Meet a new man somewhere
1: yeah so um yeah so um mum died um I went through a really interesting period after mum died of being on my own um which was really really amazing at the time it felt quite lonely but it was really amazing in terms of finding out who you really are I think in your 20s you just sort of amble through life and you have a good time and you're not really sure of who you are as a person a person. Really even think about it do you and you don't really
0: funny like in your 20s you feel like you have got forever to go, you know, and then your thirties come and that's when you realise, and obviously for you with your mum, that's when you realise how short life is.
1: Yeah, definitely. And especially when I watched her, when I watched her pass away, I was like, oh gosh, you know, she should have had that meringue that time we went to that restaurant or, you know, like you do certainly realise that we all sweat the small stuff all the time about certain things and we worry about things and, I just, it's not worth it because you just never know when time's up or someone you love's time's up. Um, So I went through quite a lot of self reflection and self growth during that time. I mean, um, and I bought a house in Monica and I was single probably for a couple of years. um, But I really enjoyed that time um, of just having, you know, good friends and and things like that. Um, And then I met my husband now, Callum when I was about 35 so I was quite old you know for um relative terms. and he's a like lot younger than me he's 10 years younger than me so, oh nice one yeah so I was kind of like oh gosh you know what whatever i think? And but but we had a real connection and a real a great friendship and and things like that and um yeah I just knew that he was the one so we he pretty much moved in and we got married I think about got engaged pretty quickly and then i went i was married when i was like 37. and do you think that is because of the age that you were you sort of fast track it because if
0: you're both 25 maybe you don't do it as quick
1: i think we just had a real connection and we just knew that we were it was just the right fit and um we just wanted to sort of get on with it and yeah i haven't really talked to Callum about it but because i never really we never really talked about it just he just proposed one day and i was like oh that's good I i just didn't really think about stuff like that i wasn't really like and I didn't think about, like, babies or anything like that. I didn't know what I was on, what planet I was on, honestly. <laughs> um, well, you've
0: been a lot, you
1: know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just kind of happy to be sort of, like, I've done, you know, with mom and dad. It takes a lot of energy and it's stressful and, and stuff. So I was just sort of happy to sort of cruise along. But uh, we got married um, at Bendigo, and then, which is really sad because mom would have, like, that would have been my mother's ultimate, you know. Sort of. There's
0: big times like that when you really, really notice that.
1: Yeah, it's when you ha- when you get married and when you have kids and stuff like that. It just really, you're just like, oh man, she would love this, and oh, it would be so good to have mum here, you know, that sort of stuff. So. And do you feel it, the grief, a lot more intensely? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I think in your day to day, you learn to sort of you live with it, and yet sort of, but in those big moments, it's really tough. Um, just because it's such a shame, like she would love. My little boy Walter, now she just would just, she just would love him. Um, She's missed out, Walter's missed out. It's- yeah, it's really sad. It's really sad. So, my brothers have their children, uh, they've got two each. Um, so, she was a grandmother, it was awesome. But yeah, I think, you know, with me, it would have just been something she just would have really loved, you know. Um, I'm 37 and we're trying to have Walter, well, trying to have a kid, baby nothing was happening and nothing was happening. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I um, well, I would always go to my doctor. So right from a young age, so from my first period, I had a light period for my first period, but the second period I was about 13 and we were on a school um, pony club trek. And I got this a massive bleeding on this. It was a worse situation. Like if you had been at home, you could deal. <laughs> But I had this massive period, like, huge, like, um, just, bl- honestly, it was just huge. Was- Non-stop. Yeah. <laughs> Non-stop. It was, like, not to be too graphic, but massive plots, and I was in a real, I remember being in the back of the horse float, trying to change out of my jobpers and stuff, and my mum wasn't there. She wasn't on the camp, and that- we got back to the um, homestead, and um, I was in the shower, and I was just bleeding, 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 and I fainted, because I'd lost so much blood, so um, I remember just sort of coming to it. My mum eventually got there and we went home and she was just, she was crying because she didn't think I'd be able to have children. She was just like, what's going on? And, and then I don't think anything really came of it. And then every period I had at like high school, boarding school was horrendous, mm-hmm. heavy. And I'd have to have a day off. And I think the matron thought I was a bit of a hypochondriac and, and stuff, but it was really awful. So all through my teens, I had this heavy, heavy, heavy periods. Um and I remember going to my doctor and I because I'm a bit of a um I diagnose, self diagnose myself. <laughs>
0: yeah, it sounds like you do the research first, you know. I did a lot of
1: research because I'm kind of like over Google. Yeah, I'm gonna take this into my own hands and sort of find out what's going on here. And I'd say to her, I think of got endometriosis. Um and she's like, Oh well, if you do, you can't really do anything about it. And, and so stuff. how many years ago was this for anyone sort of listening in and talking probably like when I was like Thirty or like late 20s 30s i would often say to her look like, you know oh even then yeah so it's there's been a lot more endometriosis awareness since then but it's shown. Oh huge i didn't even know what the word was really until i sort of figured it out um i was you know i was going i was like you know do we think we need to get help here with my i need to get um fertility you know that's i was she didn't really mention anything it just happened like that one time i went to a new doctor a younger girl and um She was like, I think you just need to go to Fertility Associates. You need to, you know, you need to go and sort out what's going on, you know. Um, Especially when you were trying. This is when we were trying. Yeah. So I went to Fertility Associates and they did a a thing called AMH. So they test your um, AMH levels. I looked it up, the hormones um, that your
0: eggs excrete or whatever.
1: Yeah, well, it tells you how many eggs you've got left. So where your ovarian reserve is left. And mine came out really bad, like quite low. And that is normally a um, symptom of endometriosis. Yeah. They don't know why, but they find that in all endo patients is that... Um, How tough that you had been battling endometriosis, your whole, you know, whole adult since
0: yeah. since puberty, just having yeah. to suck it up and get on with it. Yep,
1: yeah, because I didn't know. No one talked about it. No one certainly didn't at boarding school or anything. Um would have been in bed um, at boarding school and people would have thought, oh, yeah, she gets it bad yeah I kind of yeah you don't really talk about it so I was like do other girls get like these heavy periods I didn't really sort of I don't know so um I went to fertility associates and the lady was like oh look you know you're down here on the range it's not looking good mm-hmm. uh, I think we need to do a diagnostic laparoscopy to go in and have a look and see how bad the endo is and I was like okay cool yeah I'll just do whatever you say you know yeah just need to get this done and um so, uh, they I remember it was like on my birthday, my birthday's like the 19th of December, and um, it was in Dunedin. And I went in and they they did this um, this procedure, and I'll never forget it. I woke up and it was a man doing it, it wasn't even the lady that I had. Um, and he came in and he was like, Oh, look, it's stage four, endo, it's everywhere, and you're probably pretty unlikely that you even have children. Rob said, Out like, with no, no, with no no wow. kind of bedside manner yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um and I was like oh and it's like this big thunderclap, you know like oh my gosh you know here's my next here's my next challenge uh, for sure so um we went home I oh, we actually stayed in Konauea for Christmas with my in-laws and I was just like oh this is terrible and I sort of wallowed in my self-pity for a while and um yeah, we're never gonna, gonna have children on your plate isn't it yeah more grief. um went through all that And then um, I decided to take things into my own hands and um, because I'd had a bit of a negative experience. So I actually went and contacted Janaya Oxford Women's in Christchurch because they they had a really good reputation. So I um, got a really amazing doctor called Janine Brown up there. Um, I went and saw them and they said, okay, well, let's do a round of IVF and see how we go. We did a round of IVF. I think I got about nine eggs, which is actually quite good for a low AMH. Um, I, can't, I think only like a few fertilized and only one made it to blastocyst, which is the five-day uh, sort of – so for people that don't know the IVF is, they rich, they take your eggs out, they fertilize them with the sperm, and then you wait from day one to day five as to how they will progress and whether the cells start dividing like a normal – egg would do nothing prepared me for the emotional roller coaster that IVF was it is unbelievable I did not I was not prepared for for this because there's so many um steps to go through you know before you you have to sort of get your hopes up and wait yes good news and then that's good news and then whoa will the next one be yeah so you start taking the injections and you go in and you have a scan and they say oh you've only got so many follicles okay first disappointment you know or you've got more you know okay all right we've got a few follicles okay so then you go get your eggs retrieved and then you're like oh i only got so many eggs and there's another disappointment or or not or high is with
0: highs and lows is they're both equally damaging i find
1: so you're riding on this massive emotional roller coaster the whole time and then then they ring you the next day to tell him your eggs are fertilized so you're just you're watching your phone and you're terrified to answer it because you're like oh god you know it was such a and of course i didn't know if i could have children i'd never been pregnant before i didn't know if i could have children um and then on day one they ring you and tell you okay well this egg is going well and this is not so you're again your highs and lows for that
0: you know when people give you advice or news it depends you can think of it in a positive or a negative way. So it's like different days are different ways of viewing whether things are going well or not.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I remember on day three, she rang up, she said, look, one's looking okay, but the rest have just basically disintegrated. Um and I remember going, what do we went out to Rangiora to Joe's garage and I we were having lunch and I just cried. I just cried and like hoped no <laughs> I was there but I just cried and my poor husband was like oh gosh I just want to eat my lunch um but I just remember just crying like I just was like this is terrible I'm not going to be able to have children and I just honestly it was horrendous and then on day five, I said, Well, to have
0: children because you'd lost your mum as well.
1: Probably. I mean, I think it's just a I mean, it, everyone's different. But all of a sudden I realized I wanted children and how late I was in life doing it. And how did I have the chance or advice I would have gone and got my ex retrieved when I was thirty? Um all that stuff plays plays on your mind and what you could have done and what could be different and, and stuff like that. So on day five, they rang me and they said, Oh, we've got one blastocyst and I was, Surprised because the news had been quite doom and doom and gloom. So, um, so I went in and got that um, put in, and then you do the two week wait, which is again this horrendous time of not knowing if anything's happening or anything like that. Um, and then I didn't test, and I got—I f- was sure I was pregnant. I'd convinced myself I was pregnant, and then I got the phone call from the nurse saying, "No, you're not pregnant." And that is just like another grief all in itself um and you're sort of doing it on your own like people don't really know what you're going through you know you don't really tell many people because you don't really want to have to tell people that it didn't work or
0: yeah and even if i guess if you do tell people it's still quite lonely
1: because they don't really not many you know just those who have been through it are the ones that really understand what it's like yeah you definitely gravitate towards towards the people that have been through it because they really understand and you hear some stories about girls going through like 12 rounds to get I was like, how do they do that? Like, that emotional.
0: So, I don't understand how hard yeah. it is.
1: I've got good friends who have been through it and they've told me how hard it is, but you just. You can't until you do it. It's just something you don't really want to do if you don't, you know. Um, so, that was really traumatic and, yeah, grief and things like that. But in tr- my true nature, I, you know, I jumped online and I started doing all this research. I read a lot of books about. Equality, quality and I read a lot of books about endometriosis and um you know I'm one of these people that look if there's a problem we can do something about it yeah, yeah I'm not gonna not give up and I know th- there must be something we can do about this situation you know that's what I always think like like when mum was dying like there must be something to do you know there must be something we can do to that fix there's <sighs> got to be a solution yeah yeah so I I basically read every book and everything to do about endo and stuff like that and you're running like a business that's very yeah yeah so you're getting on with your life and you're building a brand and yeah and then I discovered you know through all my reading and stuff that diet plays a massive massive part in endometriosis and like since mum had died and I'd learned about diet and stuff I'd sort of fall into my old ways and sort of forgotten and and stuff like that and I was like oh hang on no that's right um you know when they say food is thy medicine there's that quote I was like actually it's coming very clear that endometriosis is inflammation of your body yeah. um and obviously there were things that i was doing that was causing massive inflammation in my body so that's alcohol and sugar and so alcohol sugar gluten you know and tea caffeine everything like that so all the good stuff all the good stuff <laughs> that i that i loved so clearly um well, i had a bit of a problem um
0: what did you but- have your um, diet before then as as being a problem or was it
1: just yeah definitely i think because i run so fast in terms of my business and i'm so passionate about my business i do not take time to breathe i just running on adrenaline, adrenaline, adrenaline. adrenaline um so you eat you know you're not conscious about what you're putting in your body i was just eating to. um i was just eating i learned all the stuff so i was like okay before we do this round of, next round of ivf i'm going to clean my body up i'm going to do everything i can to get better quality eggs um and everything and i read a book called it starts with the egg and it's a book about diet and supplements and, and things like that so i cut out gluten dairy sugar alcohol caffeine for about probably about four months and i mean my body immediately or you were just so motivated that. It- i think i had it, i had an end goal um so when I have an end goal I'm very dedicated to. And did you invo- avoid social situations, or did you still get out and about? And I got out and about, but I found it quite hard because you know it's quite a boozy culture and yeah, yeah. Uh, and stuff like that. So I probably didn't you know go out like I used to. Yeah, I just, well, you, you know, just go out for a couple of hours and then you get tired and come home. Yeah, you could, yeah, and then you see people drunk and you realise. That's not actually that good look, you know?
0: <laughs> Drunk people and sober people do not mesh
1: well. Oh, they don't mix, and then people are annoying, and you're just like, oh man, I just want to be home in bed watching Netflix, to be honest. Yeah, and um, even when you've had a few drinks, sober people are a bit annoying as well. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> and people not used to see me sober, so it was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but um, so I cut all that out. I felt really good. I lost heaps of weight, um, I had lots of energy. I was, I was, um, Bringing these supplements in from American Fertility Clinic, which helps with your egg supplement, like egg health. Sorry, so things like um, uh, like melatonin and and um, just lots of things for your egg quality and that. Um, so I was taking these supplements and I was doing this diet, and I went back to see Janine for the next round, and she's like, "I really think we need to do another laparoscopy to just clean out the endo because we don't know whether that's causing the problem." I was like, yep, yeah, cool, that's cool. So she went in and did a laparoscopy and she says, oh, we need to do this before we do the next one. And she went in and did the thing, the next um, operation. This is in Christchurch. And I'll still never forget when I came out of the operation and I went to see her, um, or she came and saw me. And she's like, oh, Christina, it's not even stage one anymore. And, was and I was four. like, what? Yeah, and she was These like- stages are there for those like me who There's four, so I was at the worst stage, yeah. And um, she goes, like, we can hardly see any adhesive, Like, we can't see. And they'd taken photos from the first um, surger- surgery to the next. And there's hardly anything. It had cleaned itself right up. And that's
0: amazing. And I
1: hadn't been on any drugs. I hadn't been on anything. And I said, Janine, you know, it must be the diet. And, I mean, doctors aren't, you know, they're not great at accepting. Um, no, they are recommending exercise and diet. Is, yeah. No. They're very much scientific. And I think that's the way they've been trained. So I don't hold that against them. But... And i don't think she could really explain why this would happen i wonder it'd be in- interesting
0: to know whether you changed her journey
1: yeah i don't know because i don't say much to them i just sort of i just sort of go and do my own little yeah. um journey in terms of what i can do to help the because i find that they sort of just they're like oh whatever whatever helps you, you or doctors when you
0: come in and sometimes i <coughs> self diagnosis and it gets to snip yeah. very quickly but i have really good reasons
1: as to why i think yeah so it's kind of hard because you yeah. well, i think i think in the future it would be amazing that we could have like a holistic approach combined yeah. with a scientific approach because i really do think what we nourish our bodies with yeah. and so um she goes okay we'll, we'll do a round the zoladex which is this horrible drug that puts you into menopause um just to clear up anything that's not there we'll do another round so I was like, okay, so I'm pretty proud of myself by this stage because I feel like I've yeah. really I mean, wow, really wow. nailed um, you know, so I'm kind of excited and patting myself on the back it's for the hard work. Good. So good. I felt amazing. I drunk, so I'm actually really deprived. Good. And I I probably a pain in my husband's ass, honestly, because yeah. I had him on buddy um juices and um, yeah. you know, I had him doing it and he lost heaps of weight and he felt really good too. So um yes,
0: it wouldn't have been a sustainable thing, but it's still such a yeah. good reminder of how important what you put in your body is. So it's about finding that, you know, if we're thinking about those those listening, a sustainable yeah. level. So you're not having juices for dinner, breakfast, lunch. And- no, no, no. Hey.
1: No, um, but, um, I, and I'm really telling my story if it can help someone going through a similar situation. Because when I did this, I was like, everyone needs to know about this, you know, like, know this is... Feeling this feeling i need to tell everyone about this and then yeah. it's also hard because you don't want to get involved in people's situations and give them hope and then that doesn't happen for them or um and it's or also like that. quite a challenging thing being able to do
0: you know you're a very strong-minded goal-oriented person yeah everyone would be able to maintain that diet like you did
1: no i think and i'm definitely a, a type of personality that that throws it all at it and yeah. But you see what I'd done is an experiment which I had proved that did work um, and to me that was very powerful in terms of how food can heal the body I think. Yeah and
0: you'd already started it with your mum. Yeah I'd already started so I touched on it.
1: I touched on it and also when my mum died I took over her role as trustee on CanLive which is a um, a charity in Monica where um, we used to have retreats where cancer patients would come to and we'd do things like meditation and we'd do things like the diet and So that really helped me after mum's death because I went along and spent time with these people and um, really understood the diet even more, meditation, you know, stress and all those things. So I'm still a trustee on that, um, which I've really loved. Um, But yeah, so back to, um, we go in for the next round and we get five eggs. So we're getting lower because your AMH diminishes over time as you age, yeah. And especially because I've had endo on a low ovarian reserve, now I'm down to five eggs. And, and they kind of look at you bit, what but
0: What would, say, a 25-year-old in a similar
1: situation with, without endo, what would they have in comparison? Oh, you'd probably get like 20, 30 eggs. Okay. But I had read somewhere, and I've done a lot of reading, that only takes one, yeah. you know, so not to worry too much about quantity. It's about quality. And because i have been taking these egg supplement, There's your brand coming into play. Yeah, because I'd been taking these things. I was like, I, I was quietly confident that the eggs were going to be good, yeah. you know, um, because I'd done this work. Again, I didn't say anything to the doctors or anything like that because I was just like, I'm just, this is just my own little thing. So anyway, um, went in and um, they got five eggs and four – no, sorry, they only got four eggs. And I'll never forget it. We went into the egg retrieval. And normally they take the eggs out and they start counting the eggs. This is now the trauma of <laughs> IVF. And they start counting the eggs and they were like, not counting. And counting them in front of you. Yeah, they count them as they come out and they weren't counting. There was just silence for like five minutes. Oh my goodness. And we were like, I was just looking at my husband and you're on these cool drugs. Like you're really worked out. It's pretty awesome. But um, <laughs> I was just looking at my husband. My husband was just like, oh, God, this is not good. I'm um, come up with her for another. Yeah, yeah. He's like, just we need to be done (laughs) this is a situation anyway then she goes oh one one and we were like oh so they got four eggs and um i was really upset about this low number of eggs you know because you don't have a lot to choose from and then they fertilized them one wasn't mature enough and one egg had two sperm go into it so it shuts the egg down so i literally only had two eggs to work with this time so I was like, how do go into one? How does it? That- oh, sometimes two sperm can go into one egg and it kills the egg. Yeah, there's so many fascinating facets to this. <laughs> Anyways, I had two eggs and they were like, oh, this isn't good. Last time your eggs all disintegrated. Look, just don't have any, you know, sort of hope for this. And I've also done a lot of reading about putting your putting your eggs back in earlier, not waiting until day five. There's been quite a lot of research done and a lot of success with, eggs going in earlier and being in their own environment but you don't see that they get to blastocyst but they were kind of like oh look you live in Monica. we just basically feel sorry for you so we'll, we'll put them in on day three so we, we will humor you in other words yeah yeah, yeah. Research, yeah we'll just yeah we'll do this for you you know and i'll oh, thank you you know because i've done my research on this mm-hmm. anyway so they rang me on day one and they said oh yeah the eggs are doing what they're supposed to be doing they're dividing and, and things like that so I'm secretly thinking yes go eggs go eggs you know um go healthy eggs you know so- go healthy eggs and they said yeah I think we might have a transfer on day three and I was like okay sweet so then we go in on day three and I'll never forget the embryologist's face when she walked through the doors and she said to me wow these eggs are looking really good and I was like are they and she's like yes I was like wow that's cool and um They were so good that they put two back in because they couldn't decide which egg was better.
0: Oh wow!
1: They're both really good. Twins. Could have, yep. Or I had to sign my life away for multiples, like my um my friend has triplets.
0: She lives in Wanaka, actually. Four-year-old triplets from putting
1: three, uh, no, two eggs in. Really? Wow! I Hope she's still alive. Oh my goodness! (laughs) Made it out the other side. Oh wow! Good. That's amazing, honestly. Um. And yeah, so they put two back in and got pregnant with Walter.
0: So amazing.
1: We had our precious little boy. He's three years old now. Um, And yeah, it was just amazing. Yeah. It's so
0: wonderful to hear how, um, you know, changing up your nutrition and how you're treating yourself had such a profound impact on your journey. How do you think you would have coped if you hadn't had luck that time?
1: I don't know honestly I'd hate to think I was so lucky it was only round two um it was only round yeah. two, but you, you'd done a lot of legwork. yeah I've thrown a lot at it I guess that was the risk that was the risk because I put so much energy in it I don't know whether I could have picked myself up and um done that again it was you'd so
0: probably lost um you wouldn't have been able to stick to that diet so well because you wouldn't have had the same faith in it
1: yeah exactly exactly so um Uh, yeah I would have if my eggs had disintegrated and my eye my endo was still bad I don't know I would have probably lost the faith in that kind of um way of approaching it and gone the doctor's way I don't know were you um nervous throughout the pregnancy as well
0: would have been a nervous first 12 weeks or yeah
1: I was
0: feeling you were good
1: oh no I just knew I just knew I was pregnant and I just knew it was going to be good it was weird. It was just weird. I like, because risk of miscarriage and that's quite high when you're a lot older. I didn't even think about that. I was just like, no, this is it. I know this is going to work. Another thing I should mention, I went to a naturopath in Auckland prior to this second round called Brad Crouch and he had had massive success with fertility. And he sounds, it sounds a bit wacky, but you go and see him. I took my husband because I was like, he needs to come because he'll think, I've lost, <laughs> completely lost the plot. Like, um, and he looks into your eyes and he looks into your irises and he can tell a lot about your health. From, and a lot about your genetic health and it's like you know you're from Scottish blood and um you've got really strong um really strong um like genes in terms of you'll be fine to get through this and you'll definitely have a baby you're very fertile and you know he tells you that all this stuff and it's <laughs> like a,
0: a psychic cross with a naturopath
1: kind of he's very massive he gives you so you so he suggests um like a paleo diet as well so that was one of his things Mm -hmm. um like a friend of mine's friend she got pregnant naturally at like 42 or something because she goes she went to brad and she'd done all these IVF leading up to it and then she did brad's um way and then she got pregnant naturally at like i think it was like 40 and 42 she had two kids so that's why I went to him. And um he gives you, you... another one. Sorry.
0: Think about having a second.
1: Yeah, definitely. We've definitely been trying and stuff. So um yeah, it's but I'm forty-three now. So but um Charles Walters, sorry. Walter's three. So I had him when I was forty. So um yeah, so Brad was great and you do these kind of herbs and stuff. So I did that as well. So I don't want to leave that out because I don't know. I mean you don't know what has the most um yeah. influence on you. Um or not but um yeah so um I did him him as well so yeah I mean it it was sort of like a I mean I did throw everything at it how were you coping with business life as well during all? yeah fine I mean I just did it I mean um they all know that I get onto things you know um I'm very passionate about something I (laughs) I give it my all um especially Gemma knows that so um they're all really supportive and stuff, and yeah, so it was fine. It was fine. I probably took the my eye off the ball at work because I was so dedicated to to this. I guess that's that's what I mean. But you can't
0: be intensely into everything all the time. And what you would probably would have found is having a wee break where you're not so intensely into your business, you would have refound your passion again.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of healthy to have a yeah, because you can get really burnt out from from your business, but. Lately, um, I was kind of realizing I was doing that again, you know, this sort of burnout and not being that present with my sadhana and stuff. So I really got back into um, a lot of reading about mindset um, and about, I do meditation every morning. I read the miracle morning. I don't know if you've heard of that. So it's a guy who started this kind of movement where you get up really early and you do meditation, you do um affirmations you do visualizations goal setting writing in your journal is it ice baths as well uh you can do that oh, he doesn't he doesn't mention that but um i've heard people doing that and then fitness as well so every morning so that's why i've been doing your um, thing in the morning um, your workouts in the morning um and that's been really transformational in my life because all of a sudden i have like this amazing calmness come over me with doing the meditation The writing in your journal and and setting your goals and and things like that and it really every morning, yeah, um, I have been. um, So what time do you get up? Five forty five, and it just makes everything so much better because you look at and it's all about catching your thoughts and if you have negative thoughts, your reactions to them or how you react to a certain situation because we're all we're we're growing up and we we um, have these kind of limitations that are instilled in us and these beliefs you know right from children um and it's really cool freaking out when we couldn't get the microphone working yeah 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 just don't worry about it you know like um it'll work out and don't stress about it and 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 things like that so that's been really cool lately and then definitely getting i've definitely really embraced um what i was doing what i've done my whole life is yo-yo dieted so i would and and you know why because i'm all right i can give this my all and i'll lose all this weight and then (laughs) slowly my unconscious mind comes back
0: 100% all-in and all-out attitude that I've had a lot in my life as well that I realized was holding me back with my health and fitness and what I help others to realize
1: exactly and it just I just had this realization when I was doing the miracle morning and everything that it's it's not it's not what diet you prescribe to or what new fad it was actually and uh, because I've never been able to nail it but it was my mindset and I hadn't got my mindset right, and I was like, "Well, if I can get my mindset right about nourishing my body with foods, not cutting out things that aren't bad for me or I perceive as fattening or anything," mm-hmm. and that's been really huge for me in the last like couple of months. Um, it's only been the last couple of months? How cool? Yeah, like I, I mean, I've, I've learned all this stuff, but because every time I was doing it, it was for a reason. Yeah, I see. It wasn't a long term
0: short term reason, rather than yeah.
1: Long-term. So I had a goal. I take the goal off and then I'd fall back into my unconscious mind. Yeah, it's been really amazing. And just the approach to food is like how you nourish your body with these foods. And in fact, fats aren't bad. And protein was something that I hadn't really thought through. And now I have protein every morning and I I don't get hungry. I'm sustained and I don't reach for sugar because sugar was always my big my big problem. And and, and it's inflammatory as well. Inflammatory. So I, I completely changed my whole mindset towards food rather than doing something for a certain amount of time and then seeing the results been happy with that but then slipping back into the the unconscious so um yeah I'm I'm really stoked with um how I've just sort of kind of worked out that was my mindset that that was what come along at the right time as well yeah and so then your workouts came along and then um and just you do have to that's why I do this meditation and affirmations and things because every day you need to check in to make sure that you remember that, you know, I will nourish my body with healthy foods or whole foods and, and things like that. And I just haven't even looked back because it's not about reaching a goal. It's about nourishing my body so it's healthy throughout my life yeah. um, so that I don't get disease and I make it stronger through exercise and, and stuff like that. So,
0: Disease prevention is, um, you know exercise that's a big its biggest benefit it's not motivating day to day for most people it's not what you've been through so that's where you know people can find it tough but you know it is important for people to remember that and think about their long-term health
1: yeah i think and that's why if you do daily practices of meditation and things and you're checking back in with yourself and you know life can get really busy you've got children and You know, running businesses and things like that. And if you don't take time to sit with yourself and really think about what, you know, um, how to keep things on track and um, your affirmations every day about, um, you know, what you're nourishing your body with, healthy relationships, kindness and compassion and all those things. If you do that every day, it soon becomes part of who you are. said before about um, your mum should have eaten the meringue. You don't
0: actually (laughs) mean she should have eaten the meringue. What you mean is she needed to be at peace with either eating the meringue or not eating the meringue. And that's the mindset. Because if you're eating the meringue um, and stressing about it, then it's not a positive. But if you're eating a meringue and you know that it's a good healthy decision, as in the decision itself is made with health because you've been nourishing yourself and your mindset's right, then it's a great thing. So I think a lot of people take that the wrong way. It's, you know, you should eat the cake. It's like, yes, but does that cake make you feel good?
1: Yeah, and I think when you sort of get into a really um, healthy mindset of nourishing your body, you don't actually want to eat the cake because you know that it's not actually serving your body um, yeah. in the right way. I think it, because I think if you're doing a diet or something, you're like, oh, I want to have that cake. Yeah, um, it's, the, it's the food wrong thoughts. Yeah, it's the wrong thoughts that you're telling yourself about that cake. Like, oh, if I eat that cake, then I just won't eat dinner tomorrow night. You know, and that's not a healthy way of living. That's actually um, restricting yourself. Um, and it's non-sustainable, I reckon. I don't think it's, you can't sustain that kind of. Um, that's um, right. Um, yeah. We are talking to Claire the other day. Um, if diets worked, we'd all only go
0: on one and that would be it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're trying to sell you this quick fix. And um, like, it's not a quick fix. And someone, I tell you who is someone that I've loved listening to her podcast is Deliciously Ella in the UK. So she had, she had massive um, health, chronic health issues. She was in and out of hospital and then she changed her diet and um, she's completely healthy and her husband and her are growing this huge business in um, the UK called Deliciously Allah. And she has a, a really good app with all the good foods and, um, and things. So I just I love listening to uh, their podcast because it's all about um, mindset. Uh, mixed with food types. that you're going to say because
0: yeah that, that's what it's about it's not the food you're eating it's it's the mindset that's causing you to eat the food or not eat the food
1: yeah so rather than like me and the, I have like a s- smoothie in the morning and re- and like it has peanut butter in it for instance I would have thought oh that's way too fattening but now I understand that you need fats with protein I have protein powder in it and stuff and I know that that's going to sustain me to lunchtime yeah. and that excites me because I've never discovered that before um if you go to the movies, have your popcorn, you know? Like, it's all good, you know? Like, you don't want your time and its place, but you're not going to the movies every day. So to treat yourself or whatever. But but you know that because your mindset's changed, it's not about not having or not this, you know? You make decisions with food, and if it's a, if it's a controlled decision, one that
0: you've made with intent, or whether it's one that's kind of out of crazy, like, oh, I want that food, I want that food. Okay, I'm going to the movies, great. I'll have some popcorn, yes. not. shall I have popcorn, shall I not? Oh, I'm just going to have it, and then you stuff it in your mouth, you know? Yeah. That's not yeah. a good
1: place to be in. Yeah, totally. So.
0: And so, with the business, where to next? You've got a shop in Christchurch now. When did you launch that one?
1: We launched it four days before the first lockdown. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that was awesome. Um, it's been a challenge. I mean, it
0: down during?
1: No, we didn't, actually. Not really, only, only the lockdowns. Um, we're in the crossing and you can't really you know it was there was a period it was hard all our staff were getting COVID and things so some days you had to sort of I think we only closed one day though of all that um it's been you know it's a struggle because COVID the pandemic put it's just changed the landscape of who's shopping and who's in town like a lot of the banks are still working from home so it's definitely a it's definitely a um a, a, definitely a struggle um but and saying that the silver lining, I always look for silver linings. Is our website, like our online store, has just taken off, like incredible. And over the first lockdown, we sold out of our whole year's um, supply of knitting yarn in about in about twenty four hours. It was nuts interesting, just never even know what's going to go. But that's obvious. I mean, people were
0: going to do that at home during lockdown. Yeah, but you've so never it- been prepared for that.
1: No, and Callum, Walter, and I were literally packing for that first lockdown, just would go into the shop, which was shut, and just pack, pack, and pack, and pack, because we knew we had to get on top of it before the career started, and stuff like that. So that was a, a pleasant surprise, and a silver lining to a bad situation. Like, Did
0: you get stock quickly to replace it, or was it?
1: No, they, they, yeah. no. And then what happened is, because knitting's become such a um, popular thing to do since lockdown, oh, the mill is so jammed, because... And they haven't been this busy in 56 years of operation, apparently, yeah. um, because it's you know revived because people are starting to knit again and stuff. So and they're also really valuing,
0: like you say, quality over quantity and New Zealand-made and woolen products.
1: Yeah, yeah, and our and our and our product is good. Like it, uh, people love knitting with our yarn. It's really soft and beautiful to knit with. And then we have a really lovely colour palette that's um, that is inspired by the high country here in Central Otago. So um, a really um beautiful color palette so we're getting really well known for um for um our yarn um and then i bought in uh chunky yarn about oh, last year so last probably came in about july and did knit kits and targeting a bit of a younger market so people can knit at home and learn and stuff like that and that went re- that went really well too we sold out of that as well so yeah we're just about to get the next lot um, of yarn and we've doubled our um, quantities Um, we've got some really exciting stuff going on in the knitting and the knitting Um, so um, watch the space for that there's some we've got some really cool plans um, happening there around that kind of segment of our of our business Um, but not only that like our knitwear our women's wear everything is just you know, online is just huge. Terrace took a hit, obviously, because there's no tourists. Uh, Wanaka took a hit because you just didn't have the tourists there as well. So um, our shops definitely took the hit, but our but our website meant that we we're seeing great growth in the business, even after, even during, and after a pandemic. Its
0: presence has grown as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're just doing a lot. Uh, you know, you learn and, and you grow, and you you get the right people on board and. We've got a really good team now that doing all the things. Like we have an amazing photographer. Um, you know, we just we've got a good sort of um, template going for the business and um, social media. I mean, it's hard work though. Like social media is just a giant It just keeps growing. People like you and I who are running our businesses behind the scenes, we're up against
0: people who their job is the online platform. Yeah, and they're making money on their online
1: platform, and that's so you're sort of competing against for. I guess, views and likes. Yeah, and they might have a lot of money to throw towards production and how that looks because it's not cheap to do photo shoots and it's not cheap to, to, I know what you're doing too, it's not cheap to um, pull all that together. People just don't, you know, if you're not in the industry, you don't understand what it takes to pull all these beautiful images together. and You use them and then you've used them,
0: you know?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so we like... ...and stuff
0: obviously, but in terms of social media
1: you have to keep up like you have to do reels and um you we're just about to do um content management full-time with someone because it, and it's hard and i still do the social media so it's quite full-on for me so i think I'm, I'm about to advertise for a um for a digital marketer for the business because it's taking a lot of my time yeah. and it's not something I, so. I but you're about to go on with a company to do your content management is that I'm just getting my – I'm actually just paying my photographer to do monthly content um, because, again, that's what I try and do and stuff. And I've just decided that I need to put my energies into areas that need um, my focus in growing the business rather than doing. And I think um, when you have, like, a small uh, business, you get very – I know a lot of people will run into this situation is that you get very much – you're doing all day. So you're just doing what needs to be done to get it – and I think, you know, with a sight of looking at it and seeing what can be improved from there. Yes, yes. And um, I just, I'm just doing another course at the moment. So 10 years ago, the lady that told me to rebrand Imperium has brought back her um, eight of her favorite businesses to come back and do the growth phase of the business. Oh, cool. And that's been really awesome. And it's a real good step back to think, okay, actually, you know, I'm doing this in the business, but that actually isn't conducive to what I, you know, my time. I should be growing the business. So it's been a massive, amazing um, restructure of our business is what we're doing at the moment in terms of the the key people we need involved um, to to run it. And then I get back to doing things I love, which is design and growing the business because it is growing um, and I've got to manage that growth. And with growth comes, you know, financial, you've got to, so we're making a lot more than we used to, Um, you know, there's a lot more money going into production. rents go up you know you have all those kind of situations so I'm not I'm not all over that then
0: yeah it's like managing it's
1: like a whole new structure you have to learn how to get the best out of it again yes kind of like so rejiggling everything so that things are getting done well people aren't overloaded you know that was a bit of a problem for a while there we were all running like and then there's never a dull moment at Perium. Like if you work there, it's, um you know, it's small. So everyone's runs doing a bit of this and a bit of that. like so my business
0: too. It's like when they, um when the girls go to write what their job title is. Yeah. It's, it's impossible to yeah. say what it is. There's like about a hundred different things.
1: It's exactly, it's exactly right. And I'm just about to advertise for like a role in the office. And I'm like, I don't even know what to call it because oh you've got to do this, 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 and this. It doesn't have a name. It's like, you're just like, and it's, it's like just admin, you know, like you could say it's admin, it's not. It's way more than that, especially when- Way you. more.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's marketing, it's admin, it's, it's
1: customer service. service. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's- Hey, I need what?
0: this doing, can you do this? And it could be anything.
1: Yeah, it could be anything. It's almost like a PA, you know, they just need to be kind of <laughs> available.
0: It's basically trying to clone yourself is what I think it is.
1: It's exactly it, it's exactly it. Yeah, you need someone and like, but you don't need, yeah, they need to be good at all things too, you know, like, do they have any experience on Illustrator or Photoshop or can they use Canva, you know, like, and I was writing this job description, I was like, oh man, this is like eight jobs in one. No wonder everyone feels overwhelmed. <laughs> So yeah, so it's cool. Um, we're experiencing great growth. Um, in terms of um, you know future future plans, um, just really really focusing on the online stuff um, yeah, because that's it's where. Up any more shops or anything. Not at this, not in this economic climate, no. Um, you know we love retail, but when you look at the figures, it's your online store that you know you don't have any overheads. You um, you don't have any extra staff. You you know it, it's a really good model for business. There are so, some
0: things that you want to try on, like coats, for, yes. masks, for example. That's yeah. really, I, like, I, I got this in store Yeah, um, because I got to try it on.
1: I definitely think there's a place for stores. I think it's important because it tells your story. And yes, you can touch and feel and um, understand the quality of a garment before you buy it. So, I, you know, I get a special thing when you go to Wanaka and a lot of people
0: visit Wanaka, if you had a whole lot of stores everywhere, you know, obviously it would be popular. But... Something special about knowing you're in Wanaka, great, you can go to Perium and
1: yes, yeah, totally. Yeah, so, um, the stores definitely have a place and they're great and we love them and, um, and things like that. But I think in the foreseeable future, while we overcome this pandemic and you know the economy gets back on its feet, and I think we, we, you know, that's our focus. But as I said, we have some exciting, um, so exciting stuff, I can't really say much about it, but in the knitting um side. Um, that's sort of another well, that's definitely an exciting growth area of our business that um did not expect, but is a silver lining from the pandemic and definitely something that we're focusing on for the next in the next few months. So that's exciting. Um well thank you so much for your time.
0: It's okay. been yes yeah, so awesome to hear your story and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening right now thinking about what they can do to change their lifestyle for something massive that's going on in their lives or even just you know if they've been feeling a bit flat or low in energy you know reminding them the significance of what you put into your body and how you move your
1: body as well yeah i mean and i think you know if anyone wants to contact me regarding like i have a year for um what i did or um what supplements i took like please just get in touch i'm more than happy to help anyone i'm not saying it will work with everyone that's just my experience but again i honestly like sharing my story if it could help someone else or you know i know um someone close to me has got the same issues with me um you know with heavy periods and, and things like that so i just feel so um grateful that i'm here to help her um as a young person, um, because I didn't know about it then, so um, yeah. If there's anyone that wants to make contact, and I can help, just look
0: you up on they, they look up here on on Instagram or Facebook
1: and send your message. Yeah, just send me a DM on Instagram or whatever. Um, I can yeah, because I know going through it, it's really lonely. Just the whole IVF and endo situation. So um, if you want um just some I don't know advice or um, someone that's been through it, like just let me know because I'm more than happy to um, share my experience um and what I did. I just realized I've got a couple of fitness questions since we are mm-hmm. from the podcast. Favorite dedicate workout. Oh, I did the low impact to start, which I really loved. Um, just to get just to get into it. Um I've been really loving um those ones. Um yeah, I'd probably say those ones at this stage. I'm sort of working my way up to the more high-intense stuff at the moment. And
0: piece of advice for anyone starting out on dedicate.
1: Oh, I would say the mindset stuff. So get get your mind in the right place. Don't just do it because you think it might be a quick fix for you in the next. Like make it a daily ritual, or you know, like you know, four or five times a week just to get your strength. And um, don't look at it as a quick fix. I think that's my biggest advice. Like just make that's just part of your routine now um and um yeah i love it it's been awesome like there was someone
0: in the facebook group the other day and this is what we encourage too but sometimes it's hard to get that me- that message across is um so she did a post saying that she was just going to focus on getting in two workouts a week and then she was going to do some walks and that's awesome it's about making it fit with your life long term yeah not cramming it in being unrealistic feeling like you can't maintain
1: it and then giving up yeah and that's the thing it's not like oh, i need to do four or five workouts this week it's like just start small and small steps lead to big changes um you know and i read that somewhere before i started doing your um your workouts and um it was just like you know just even if it's like one walk a week at least it's something you weren't doing you know something more than you were doing last week and then eventually you'll start enjoying it and then eventually it'll work its way into something more um, sustainable and something that's in your you know your daily routine Um, and I thought it's just such good advice that like you don't need to go out and do a high intensity workout for four times a week like just take it easy and it'll build up so yeah I really agree with that thank you so much Christina for your time that's okay
0: yeah no thank you so much It's, it's really amazing to hear your story
1: Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Thanks for asking.
0: Bye. Okay. Yeah, bye. Thank you all so much for listening to the Dedicate podcast. Every week, I'm inspired by our incredible guests for what they've achieved and what they've overcome. I hope our podcast shows you that through challenges, greatness is born. I hope it helps those who are going through hard times to see that you will get through. That yes, the hard times will define you but in a positive way. If you learn from it, if you persevere, and if you believe in yourself. If there is something you want to achieve, but haven't yet, that's burning inside of you, get started. Dreams are not built in a day. It takes hard work and dedication, but you can do it. Moment by moment, day by day, week by week, time adds up, and before you know it, you'll be exactly where you're dreaming of right now. If you enjoyed that episode, and you're not up to date with the Dedicate podcast, be sure to check out another incredible businesswoman with a business inspired by nature, Amanda Cochran, finding peace after losing a child, and my business baby, Sophie Hurley, continuing my career from the farm, and then Merino Farmer, or as we discussed, Farmer's Wife, Pip Cameron, my journey to becoming an author and influencer. Dedicate is the online Trans-Tasman community and app for rural women, mums, and those who love a down-to-earth approach to fitness or those who can't get to the gym. Come and work out with me and our other trainers located throughout New Zealand and Australia. We're all mums and we're all doing our best to balance life and exercise. We are on this journey with you. We have everything from hit to weights, yoga and Pilates to boxing. Our workouts are short and effective, so you can fit them in and we focus on long-term success and consistency, not quick fixes. Give it a go with your seven-day free trial at KateIVFitness.com, and check out our special winter deal for new members an incredible 15% off until July the 24th with the code WINTER15. Thanks for listening. See you back in August for Season 5.